<laughs> Welcome back, everyone. More thoughts and prayers. What's up? Um, We're coming off of our week-long thoughts and prayers intensive at the undisclosed location. Yep. We now have a substack. We've met Radfem Hitler, hung out with her. It's been it's been a week. It's been yeah, it's been a good week. Yeah, it's been fun. Um we've been recording IRL in what do you what have you been calling it? Um my Torabora basement. Yeah, his goon cave. <laughs> so we're gonna bring you guys a classic one today though, just A and I just chilling. Cause we thought why not? That's right. You're giving a little like sultry vibes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel very relaxed. Your your house and family life to me is very relaxing. Oh, uh, interesting. I know it doesn't feel that way to you, but I've kind of felt like your third child all week. Um, and you and your wife have just been producing kind of like various activities and stuff for me to do so well you're the one who can you know at least like pick out your own clothes and stuff so yeah you don't have to take me to the bathroom (laughs) things like that (laughs) um so we're gonna talk today about we've done a lot of pop culture episodes um and probably by the time you guys hear this you'll have heard those but we're gonna do some political analysis today there's been a few things that have been interesting in the the media um do you want to start with feinstein or do you want to start with mcconnell uh they sort of go together yeah we can do i i mean yeah maybe we can do a feinstein first okay so diane feinstein the crypt keeper (laughs) is her husband died and she is involved in a, I guess there's a lot of money. And I, I didn't quite realize this, but I guess her husband and her, he had a marriage um, before her, is my understanding. Did you know that? I didn't know anything about her. So, no. <laughs> well, I was just looking up how, holy shit. Do you know how old she is? How old is she? She's 90. Yeah, so she has to be, is she the old, I'm sure she's the oldest, who could be older? The oldest current senator. Yeah, like right now. Probably the oldest ever. Of all time, yeah, possibly. I mean. Yeah, and on November 5th, 2022, she became the longest serving, longest serving, as of May 2023, she is the oldest serving U.S. senator. Okay. I mean, just think about what 90 is. Strom Thurmond lived to be 100 in office. So, old Strom. I think he was like a racist. Like one of the last, like, Civil War era racists. Yeah, I'm going to try not to be too doxy with this, but a relative of mine's first job was working as Strom Thurmond's um, personal assistant. Oh, and he was so cheap that oh, when, that I when you're gonna say chill. <laughs> no, he was so cheap that when they traveled, he wouldn't even get um, a separate hotel room for the assistant. So there'd be like two beds in the hotel room. And every morning, I heard that he did like calisthenics in the in the room. That's what it takes to be the hundred year old senator. <laughs> He was a famously reformed racist. He got on board with the Civil Rights Act. Oh, he repented. I don't think he ever said he liked black people, but <laughs> he eventually decided that they were allowed to. I think, I think, don't, don't I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I think he eventually agreed that separate but equal was not truly equal. Anyway, so Diane Feinstein, who um, is 90, 
her husband died. He had a previous marriage before her and those kids are suing or there's a, a fight over the estate. Um, and I guess particularly a luxury beach house that Feinstein frequents. Um, and she's claiming, and I'll get to why it's not really her yet, but she, her, her side of the, the lawsuit is claiming that she needs the money because of mounting medical bills. Um, she had some sort of stroke, I think, and had to be out of the Senate for a while. When she came back, a reporter asked her if she was happy to be back, and she claimed that she had never left. <laughs> um, recently, she was seen having to be reminded multiple times by an aide to say the word I, which was all she was required to do <laughs> in the Senate. And the big part of this is that her daughter, who someone tweeted, I wish I knew who, I'm sorry for not giving you credit, but a friend of the pod tweeted, I didn't know that fuck-ass Bob was hereditary because her daughter literally has the same <laughs> hair, haircut, same Bob, same glasses, same everything. Um, but her daughter has now been de- declared her legal guardian and she has to, she can't handle her own um, legal situation on her own at the moment. That's what's going on. What are your initial reactions <laughs> to that reality? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not good. And, I mean, it seems to me like at that point, if you can't even, like, manage your own, like, legal affairs, that maybe you shouldn't be, like, managing the countries. But um, she's also a lawyer herself. (laughs) Um, And many people who are not lawyers, uh, most, uh, manage their own. I mean, they hire lawyers, but they're able to be considered, you know. Yeah, yeah, to have, like, decision-making authority. Right. She does not any longer. Her daughter has to do that for her, so. I don't know. I mean, the take is so obvious, right, that it's it's ridiculous (laughs) she's still in office. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's different ways that people interpret all this. Like, some people are, like, just think it's, like, the old guard clinging to power you know all these like aging boomers or if you're 90 are you even a boomer are you like whatever was before that i think your greatest generation yeah so she's probably the last greatest generation yeah so and like you know there's all these old well you know chuck schumer and whoever else. nancy pelosi's in her her 80s now yeah yeah um and another one being mitch mcconnell who's also in the headlines these days for <laughs> do you want to describe what happened to the Mitch McConnell? We'll just, we'll just get the, what, what's been going on in the mold. Yeah. So, um, this was, there was a couple things the one that I saw was like maybe a, a week or so ago. He was just, you know, giving some little press conference. It looked like at the, at the Capitol and like in the middle of it, he basically just stops talking <laughs> like in mid sentence. He just stops talking and kind of stares into he's got that like fluoride stare into space. And everyone's just kind of like, OK, you know, and then even his like handlers are like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> what do we do? And then, you know, after like a pregnant pause, they kind of like take him by the shoulder and usher him on the <laughs> stage. <laughs> yeah, and they even say something into the mic, which is kind of funny. They're like, oh, Mitch, are you, uh, are you or Mr. McConnell, are you, or Senator McConnell, are you, uh, you're done with your statement? <laughs> and they do this, like, face, like, like a frown. <laughs> kind of like you would give to a baby. <laughs> you know, like, when you, when I've been looking at your baby this week and being like, oh, are you, are you sad? <laughs> you feeling sad right now? <laughs> Um, and then I guess to a follow up of that, this was just, I think yesterday or the day before he was giving a speech in his home state, um, which is Tennessee, right? Is he from Tennessee? I think Kentucky or Kentucky, Kentucky. And he was essentially booed through the entire speech with people yelling, retire, retire, retire. 
So yeah, and he just kind of continues like geriatrically mumbling the rest of his speech or written remarks, and then like amidst the you know chanting. I mean, my take on this is that, and this is what I like. I push back on people who refuse to believe conspiracy theories. I push back so hard. Is I just think that like this is an obvious ploy by the regime to demoralize everyone and to make it utterly clear that the people who we think are in charge are actually truly just uh, Alzheimer's retard (laughs) puppets and that they don't even need to show any level of legitimacy. Um, Yeah. And I mean, regard, I mean, yeah, like I think it definitely feels that way to me and i mean regardless of even if that's the intention that is certainly the effect that it has on people (laughs) but somehow people still believe in like this idea that like the people who are elected to the government are the ones running the country Mm -hmm. you and i've been in a lot of fights this week about that yeah it's true it's even kind of a you know, even among the sort of dissident crowd or whatever, there's a split there for sure. Well, that was what our last, our COVID uh, with Daniel Hadass episode was about. Yeah. So. I, I mean, do you have, what other take could you possibly come up with for why this would even be tolerated in any way besides a deliberate demoralization and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think any other explanation really makes sense other than they're kind of trying to show people that it's, you know, their elected leaders are just full of shit. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there, you know, there's procedures for if a senator needs to step down during their term and you know elect someone else or you know um whatever the appoint an interim senator so it's not just like you know they're stuck until the end you know i I don't know i don't know what other explanation there would be and it's interesting because like mcconnell and feinstein are both in states where if they did step down for medical reasons they would the governors of those states are from their party right so they could easily, I mean, like, Newsom could, uh, you know, basically make London breed the mayor of San Francisco or whatever. Someone, yeah, you know, yeah. just, like, appoint someone. <laughs> that may that may turn out to be prophetic. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but they can just put them in there and, like, London breed could just go up there and say the eyes and, like, at least do the, like, basic. I mean, at this point, like, there's not even really part like any sort of partisanship going on like everyone just votes down party lines and nothing really moves so it's like why why even keep these aging decrepit you know individuals in place when you can just easily put in a younger person and have them you know do these like very basic functions which are which are kind of incredibly minimal at this point right Right. I mean, they just rubber stamp whatever, you know, emergency legislation or, uh, you know. uh, Debt ceiling. Right. More funding for Ukraine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all they really do. And it's like, and it's like, it's, it's, I guess the other, okay. So the other argument you could try to make, or, or let's like, like just toy with some like alternative theories here. Like, you could attempt to say that perhaps there's no one in the millennial or Gen X generation who's capable of doing these jobs. Yeah, which, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess, uh, yeah, that just doesn't seem right. I mean, there's always a younger generation and whatever, you know, maybe there is some, you know, you lose some networks and relationships, but, you know, that just has to happen. And that's the whole thing. Democracy, you know, transfer of power. And it's, you know, so that doesn't really check out to me. I mean, if if you're just going to, um, and also, like, if you think about it, if you're going to make the claim that, you know, 
the democracy should be representative of the people. It should be representative of the majority of the people. The majority of at least Feinstein's generation is dead. Um, and if Gen Xers and millennials can't possibly rule themselves, <laughs> yeah. you still have to like pass it down to them and just let them fuck it up. Right. right. I mean, that's like I, if a democracy is truly functioning. Yeah. Well, and it's not like the boomers have an amazing track record either that they're defending. You know? No. Um, are you fully on the side that like the democracy is like completely illegitimate? Like we live in essentially like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, and I think you can see it with, with things like this, like, right. I mean, just as one example that we're talking about right now, like if you just presented this question to the people, if you just had a vote, like explaining, um, yes or no, do you think Diane Feinstein is, uh, fit to continue serving her Senate term and just let like people vote right now. Do you think that they would vote to keep her in office? Well, I mean, no, but the argument could be made like for the sake of argument that they did vote to, they voted her in. They didn't choose the Republican. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure they didn't vote her in, in this state. I mean, Senate terms are six years, you right. know, Right. So she, I guess that when she was 85, she was still kicking and I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's, it's strange because if she needs a guardian ad litem to. Hand- and, 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 and just as another kind of like angle on that, like, okay, yes, yeah, she was voted in, but what does that mean? Like she wasn't vote, like they put her, a, a, you know, she won the primary, I guess, in that state because she was the incumbent she was running against a republican in california so like basically once you're in then you're in you know is that an election is that what we're talking about when we mean that like do we think that diane feinstein is legitimately like the people's choice for who they want you know to represent them well, I mean, because of the way the parties work, which essentially they work in tandem, there's no even opportunity for a true... Um, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look her up right now, too. I'm just going to see what her background is, and we're going to see. There's going to be... But I guess what I'm saying is no one would... No Democrat who seriously could take over would run against her in the primary. Right, right. Because they want, they're not going to kill their career by going up against the machine. Right. They're going to play ball. Okay, you drop out of this one or whatever. We'll give you that treasurer commi- position or whatever, you know. Yeah. What's her early life? Uh, so she went to Stanford. Okay. But who was she, who were her parents? We should her do like parents, that early. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like curious. Okay, early life. Leon Goldman, a surgeon, but he has his own Wikipedia page. Um, oh, he was a longtime member of the United States Senate from California. Right. Okay. So what a coincidence! It's just in the family, in the blood. These are just people who are born to represent the people, and they do it better than anyone else possibly could. And they're the they're the these are we're talking these are chosen people, right? These are Jewish Californians. Yeah, I would imagine so with <laughs> with the surname that we're working with here. <laughs> Um, can you look at, can you look at when she had a, can you look at that I'm right about the marriages, that there was a, that she's a second wife or something like that? Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's see her marriage, personal life. Where's that section? It might just all be in her early life. Sometimes it's like that. Um, they shove it all. I mean, Wikipedia is always trying to like. I don't see it there. Um, oh, here's her spouses. Okay, yeah. Okay, Jack Berman, mm-hmm. who di- uh, di- they divorced in 1959. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Do they have any kids? Um, so they. Div- she only has one kid. They divorced before our parents, or like right around when yeah, our, when, our, when my our... parents were born, but they were yeah like young children. Yeah. Uh, then she married Bertram, Bertram Feinstein, and so that's who she had that's... the kid with, right? I guess so. That's her last name. 
Um, and then lastly, she married Richard Blum or Bloom in 1980 and he died in 2022 so this is okay and he has his own wikipedia page too and he had kids Pres- I guess. chairman and president of bloom capital all right here we go an equity investment management firm he was on the board of directors of several companies and regent of the university of california is that who she has the kid with or she, no, no no she has the kid with feinstein yeah yeah because she would have been super old Okay, so her, so her, so the kids she's fighting against are her, or were her stepchildren, and her daughter is now the. Okay. And now, and her daughter is now the. Yeah. Yeah. What does her daughter do? And her daughter's a judge, <laughs> <laughs> presiding judge of the San Francisco Superior Court. And she's got to be pretty old too, I would guess. Uh, yeah, she's sixty-six. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So it's like I, I I guess I just I guess I just don't know how to read this other than that like she's literally not in control. Mm-hmm. Like and and these people are not in control. And it like begs the question of like if Biden is is even in control. He's that is not a question. He's not. He was the first one of these yeah. where you can see him where he can't read the teleprompter and he walks the wrong direction and he shakes people's hands twice and you know i mean sniffs a little girl's hair yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's I, like he's like shouting at people at his uh like town hall meetings and stuff listen fat <laughs> <laughs> there was literally a um in that article i talked we talked about with Radfim hitler there was literally a um a story, an anecdote about how he, when Obama showed up at the White House, um, there was a bunch of press there and all the people immediately gathered around Obama and Biden was literally left talking to the curtains. And that, that's not a, (laughs) that's not a metaphor. Like you can like, I guess watch. There's a video. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And you could see that he's just still talking to the curtains. So the article that we talked about, you know, we, we kind of went into it already with Radfim Hitler, but they, they claim that that article claims that Obama, the Obamas are essentially still in charge, that they like have set up sort of their lives to continue to be on like the East Coast, Acela corridor, kind of like D.C. to Boston. They have multiple homes in, the, in that area and including in D.C. But to, I, I don't even think that that is a, a valid, that's like more almost even more hopeful than what I think is really yeah, going on. Yeah, that to me reads almost like a counter-narrative, like an official counter-narrative, you know, that will, like, Republic, you know, Fox News people will be like, uh, Obama's still running the country or whatever, you know. Yeah, it is, I mean, yeah, it's like a more hopeful uh, message because it's like, well, it's not like the security state. It's not the CIA and the NSA and the FBI and all these other organizations. We're in the bankers and the Bilderberg and, well, you know, whatever. What are the Bilderbergs? Oh, Q. You need to. Uh, <laughs> what kind of. I'm a failure as a conspiracy theorist here. What is Bilderberg? Um, so let's see what Wikipedia says about Bilderberg. The Bilderberg Meeting, also known as the Bilderberg Group, Bilderberg Conference, or Bilderberg Club, is an annual off-the-record forum established in 1954 to foster dialogue between Europe and North America. Um, The group's agenda, originally to prevent another world war, is now defined as bolstering a consensus around free market Western capitalism and its interests around the globe. Um, but you know, let's see, um, meetings were chaired by Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands until 1975. Um, the current chairman is French businessman, blah, blah, blah. Um, (laughs) the meeting has taken place every year except in 1976 when it was canceled due to the Lockheed bribery scandals involving Prince Bernhard. Um, but basically... And so this is, again, so Wikipedia 
is always going to tell you the like official narrative basically like, you can see look at an example like COVID-19 vaccine or COVID-19 misinformation it's gonna be like the vaccines are safe and effective and blah 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 so yeah th this is like that version of what the Bilderberg conference is um but it's essentially like a one of I mean and there's all kinds of different different groups like this but um kind of deep state meetings of like business leaders and it's very secretive they don't allow anyone who's not like personally invited into the meeting it's like a hundred people and famously it's like it'll be like um bill clinton went to bilderberg before he was president and then you know in the next election he becomes president and it's like that with like many world leaders like i think macron was like a Bilderberg person and they do that, you know, like a few years before they're, they're elected as the head of state. Um, so, you know, yeah, they claim they're not secret. Um, but yeah, with such high caliber guests, why is there so little media coverage on Bilderberg? Um, and yeah, they, they're kind of, yeah, just at the center of a lot of shady stuff. Um, man, I, I need to, I'll do a, a real, a proper deep dive on Bilderberg, but there are another one. I mean, there's all kinds of the Rockefeller foundation, all these, the, the council on foreign uh, relations. Um, there's all these different kind of groups that are essentially like intelligence networks that run that help facilitate these agendas and blah, 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 that are not like official government, like organizations basically. Yeah, I mean, the accusation we're going to get is that, like, you know, we're reading McGowan, we're reading <laughs> this other stuff, and, like, you know, all all of those, uh, all of those writers and thinkers sort of, um, you know, they basically, like, we're reading Industrial Societies, and what what is it called? Industrial Societies, and it's... Uh, what is the full title? Which are you talking about? Hoffman. Hoffman. Is yeah. Secret societies and uh, psychological warfare. And psychological warfare, right? So it's like, I mean, those those writers def kind of have like a gnostic view of the world, right? Like there's this like front facing reality, and then there's like the actual reality. It's like Hoffman keeps using that metaphor, like the sun behind the sun, um, and you know, we're just going to get accused of like kind of like leaning into this like fantasy world where we kind of don't even bother to give these people like any agency or whatever. But it's like, it's like, how can you re how can you look at what's going on and actually believe that that's not what's, what's happening, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, you can that yeah i think it'd be good to talk to address that because a lot of people were saying stuff about our yeah conspiracy take they're like well it makes it like it puts the people in the position of being these like powerless kind of sheeple you know b brainwashed um and you know these these leaders as kind of all powerful and blah 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 and i'm definitely not saying that they're all powerful and i don't believe that but they are much more powerful than everyone else. I mean, and they, but <laughs> they I, control all the media and you can see it with, with people like, and we're not totally hopeless and, uh, you know, irrevocable, oh my God, uh, we're, we're irrevocably. not irrevocably brainwashed. Um, but, you know, like you and I are talking about this right now, but you can see it with people where every time, you know, oh, all of a sudden everyone's talking about Ukraine. All of a sudden everyone's putting on a mask, not even thinking about it. Now you can do, you know, they whatever they want, people will just take it and go along with it and get excited about it. Well, and I don't know why it's so hard to believe that that's what's going on when you think about most of human history. Like people just literally until, let's say... 1900 essentially the, the majority of societies were just run by some sort of figure that the state religion whatever it was and you can look all the all across asia all across europe all across africa all across you know like just like just look at europe like the the all the people believed 
the kings and the queens and the emperors and the empresses were ordained by God to, 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 to do what they were doing and were a special sort of different type of human who had the ability to rule by, by birth, right? Like by the, by their like divine like birth. And like, that is, um, that, that's just what it was like for most of human history. So it's weird to me that people don't believe that that could be happening now, that there could essentially be this like kind of mass, you know, belief that these people are, are somehow different than like the average person and, and have some sort of like, we just don't, it's just no longer a literal, like God put these people in place. It's some sort of other, you know, religious kind of belief but it's like the religion is they believe the people put these people in place or something like that Mm -hmm. and i mean the reality is that's another criticism that people make of the whole conspiracy kind of take is that it's speculative you know you're you can't know the intentions blah 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 and you know to some extent that's true but in many ways it's actually not speculative at all and many of the, the things that we talk about are accepted as fact by even the people who are deny that whatever deep state conspiracy um, or just, you know, factually verifiable. I mean, JFK is like a great example. And I think that's why it, well, for one thing, it kind of, yeah, sets into motion or it, it's symbolic of the deep state capture of the democratic government the public facing government i guess you could say whether or not that it actually shifted control at that time or it had happened earlier is you know debatable but um it's representative of that and then it's just such a good example for people to kind of start to to see this sort of dynamic at work because if you look into it at all even if you just look at the wikipedia page um, or really like this um, document, this Oliver Stone documentary about um, the JFK assassination. It's just so the evidence is just so overwhelming that um, that it, it couldn't have been Oswald as a lone shooter. And um, and there's, you know, a lot of evidence that specifically identifies the basically the CIA or some the CIA in, in combination with the mafia, basically um, taking him out. So, uh, yeah. What was the video that <laughs> we showed the baby? <laughs> Who was that? Oh, yeah. The Eisenhower farewell speech. Um, that can, was his last speech as president. Can you talk a little bit about that? We were trying to do some early indoctrination of A's one-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> he liked it. Yeah. He clapped. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this is a famous speech that a lot of conspiracy heads probably know about. It's, um, his farewell speech where he basically kind of invents the term, the military industrial complex and quite ominously, um, but also eloquently, um, basically warns the American public of the possibility that, this having a permanent war machine um, that generates massive profits and creates an incentive to have endless war and a whole um, apparatus around it um, could essentially take control of the democratic government. And he's, he explicitly warns of that and um, says that it's, it should be, it, it is gravely, the threat is gravely to be regarded. Um, and then that part's pretty well known, but what's actually kind of more interesting to me in the wake of COVID was that immediately after he gives the warning about the, uh, the military industrial complex, he starts to talk about what he calls the, um, the threat of, uh, government capture by a scientific technological elite. <laughs> um, basically that um, due to the way that kind of science functions, it's it's largely driven by federal grants and um, thus will be steered in certain directions um, at the benefit of special interests. And um, that he, he basically believes that um, 
increased technological innovation unchecked was uh, a, a threat to, yeah, democratic governance. So, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so that's I mean, like obviously, um, and how can you remind me? Because I, I just feel like you know I went to public school like. Eisenhower was after JFK or before? No, he was right before JFK. So it's interesting. It's like he gives this speech right before JFK and then the JFK assassination happens. And yeah. that's what a lot of people point to as like the, the you know, like kind of the, the ultimate coup, right? Where this kind of military industrial complex in tandem with this scientific elite community like took over the country. That's right. Yeah, basically. Um, and if you look at it, it's like, I mean, even what's happened in the last just couple of years, it's like, you know, we exit Afghanistan and almost immediately there's a new global conflict, the Ukraine war that the U.S. is heavily involved in. The idea that we're not at war with Russia essentially is absurd. We are. And, um, yeah, they just they just immediately find a new war, whether it's Ukraine or Yemen or whatever, to get involved with, to continue to, like, pump those profits into. And you have to consider, and this is another example that's just so obvious that people don't, like, put it together. But all these wars are completely fake. You know, like, what Afghanistan. Okay, why, why did we go there? Because, okay, because bin Laden was there. That's what they were saying. But he wasn't. He was in Pakistan. Yeah, he was in Pakistan. And, and the Taliban, when we when we said we were going to go invade to get bin Laden, they said, we will turn him over if you can provide any evidence that he's here. And the U.S. government did not do that because there wasn't any evidence. And, and he wasn't. He literally was not there. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, and so they, you know, th then, um, yeah, so that's a whole thing. Um, and then, you know, so then it was about wh why did we stay there for 20 years? I mean, even like after we killed bin Laden or whatever, you know, it, yeah. it was. And then the other thing you have to consider is that it just, expl there are other explanations for why essentially the deep state military industrial complex, et cetera, wanted to be in Afghanistan that um, the Taliban being like a Muslim government was shutting down poppy production, which um, Afghanistan was outside of the Golden Triangle, which was like Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, I think, was where like all the world's like heroin was produced. And look where there was another war in that region, <laughs> um, famously. And uh, so, yeah, basically heroin production in Afghanistan that the government, the CIA was running from when they were over there in the 80s, right, with the, the Soviet conflict, the Taliban was shutting that down because they're opposed to drug use and blah, blah, blah. So we go in there, overthrow the, the Taliban, get the drug production ramped back up. Um, and also there's a lot of minerals um, in Afghanistan, like the, the shit that you need for um, like computer chips which you know now is always in the news about like computer chip shortages. So anyways, um, and, and you can see this, I mean, the same thing, everyone knows about Iraq. Iraq was fake. They said WMDs, there were no WMDs. They actually knew there were WM, no WMDs the whole time. And that basically came out later, but no one cared. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, and then they create the conditions. They are already, they're already, while we're still in Afghanistan, creating the conditions where Ukraine is going to be possible because they're installing Zelensky behind the scenes in this like fake sort of like uprising of the people. They get rid of a legitimate, you know, leader of the Ukrainian um, government and put in this person who is, you know, essentially like a U.S. operative in, in every way shape and form you know putin has no choice i would argue like honestly like truly no choice but to like invade be, and they knew putin was going to invade because it, we would do the exact same thing putin invades and then there's another excuse to continue to essentially funnel 
these. Um, and then like they're setting up all sorts of other, you know, like uh, operations over there. And that's, I mean, yeah, that to me is kind of what's, you know, that, 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 that's what the, is just constantly happening. Right. And then it's like Afghanistan was a, was a money laundering operation as well. And it, it you know, all these conflicts always are with the, the, uh, the contractors, the, the military defense contractors. And so they produce all these machines. They take them over to Afghanistan. There's all these stories about like, they would just like the army would just leave their abandon, like all these military vehicles and basically like let ISIS take them and shit like that. Um, and you know, then they, they would just put in orders for like more shit from the, you know, like, fresh off the factory line or whatever and um so it's just it's just a cash grab for these companies like straight up like it doesn't even have to be more complicated than that you know yeah and i want to read a little bit from um like to show how they like set up these like other industries there which are basically just like you know more ways to profit because jeremy lafredo wrote an article in gray zone um, called Ukraine's Baby Factories Rake in Record record Profits Amid Chaos of War. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of this. Uh, While average Uca- Re- Ukrainians suffer amid NATO's proxy war against Russia, business is booming for the surrogate baby industry, which requires a steady supply of healthy and financially desperate women willing to lease their wombs to affluent for- foreigners. Surrogates have to be from poorer places than our clients, explained the med- medical director of Kiev's largest quote-unquote baby factory um ihor pechonyoha of the swiss-based biotech's com says the business model that enabled him to build one of the most profitable surrogacy companies in the world is simple exploitation we are looking for women in the former soviet republics because logically the women have to be from poorer places than our clients it is no surprise then that Biotexcom's quest for rentable wombs has led it to seemingly endless to, to the endless pool of desperate young women in war, war-torn Ukraine. Eight years of civil conflict, combined with the subsequent proxy war between NATO and Russia, has plunged Ukraine into economic disaster. As Ukrainians sink into poverty, their country swiftly emerged as the international capital of the surrogacy industry. Today, Ukraine controls at least a quarter of the global market, despite being home to fewer than 1% of the world's population. So 25% of the world's global um, surrogacy market is now based in Ukraine. Alongside the industry's rise, a seedy medical underworld filled with patient abuse and corruption took hold of the country. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and his team have actively encouraged the West to plunder their war-torn country, inking an investment partnership (laughs) with the global (laughs) management firm BlackRock, stripping workers of labor protections and handing over state-owned companies over to private firms. Yet Ukraine's surrogacy industry has fallen under the radar, despite pumping over $1.5 billion into the country's economy in 2018 alone. Since then, the global market for surrogate babies has more than doubled. The industry has has been valued at over $14 billion in 2022 and is projected to be around 25% annually in coming years. As nations like India and Nepal slam the door on surrogacy, companies citing concerns the industry drives human trafficking, Western officials appear to be turning a blind eye to the abuse-ridden business flourishing in a deregulated, politically unstable Ukraine. Emma Lamberton is a Master of International Development candidate at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm just going to read a little more of this. Recently, she published a paper in Princeton's Journal of Public and International Affairs detailing the risks of... Uh, the risks Ukrainian women face when participating in the country's surrogacy industry. The main concern of advocates on the ground is in the, in the, in Ukraine is that legislators and even news organizations aren't looking at this as a human rights violation. A government would never see the human rights violations like, like child abuse as something to simply be regulated. She explained, they'd say never should never, they, they would say, you should only be able to beat your children on Wednesdays. That would be incredibly ridiculous. And so from the perspective of advocates on the ground in Ukraine, this is an abuse issue. So they go into like what these women are going through, but it's basically like, and and like the article goes on to, you know, basically show how these women are just like essentially held hostage as like products um, to be, um, 
you know, to be like mined for their for their resources, their literal labor. And it's making a ton of money for these weird <laughs> like biotech companies, you know? And it, there's always many examples of that whenever whenever something like this happens, you know? There's an there's just some industry that's probably funneling the money into the sa- exact same pockets of places like BlackRock that needs to be set up, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about all that? What do you think about the surrogacy stuff? I mean, that, I mean that, that, that to me was kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, it just... With all this stuff, you can just you can just identify the propaganda so easily. I mean, it's because it, it's like all this stuff. It doesn't. The, what's actually happening does not correspond at all to what the messaging is on the media, the news. You know, it's all, all there. It's all Ukrainian righteous struggle, and you know, there the Ukrainian people are so strong and they're suffering but they're suffering because they believe in Ukraine and they believe in democracy and they could never do anything wrong and blah, blah. You know, it's just only Zelensky is the best. Oh, he's so handsome and he wears that amazing green sweatshirt and he, you know, whatever. He's hot. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just completely untethered to anything that's actually happening there. And all the other kind of potential narratives about it, even that aren't aren't specifically against it, but just more nuanced and everything. Um, it's just, and then, yeah, it, I don't know. For me, it's just like, once you see how everything is like, you can see with climate change, that's the other thing. It's everywhere. It's in the suddenly everywhere is really hot. It's never been this hot before. Everything's dying. The water's rising. The cities are going to swallow it in 10 years. It's going to happen in 10 years. And then whatever, 10 years happens. Oh, it was actually 20 years, but it's still going to happen, you know? And um, I don't know. That It's like, yeah. Not to mention the literal psyop to like completely normalize surrogacy as like an ethical human practice. I mean, I'm only bringing up, I mean, I'm bringing up this in the context of like what we're talking about right now, but it's just like when people realize that they sit on the internet all day calling people like us and people and the writers at Gray Zone and people like Jeremy Lafredo or whatever, they call all of us just like Nazis, but they're literally sending billions of dollars to actual Nazis. I mean, like, this is a like a literal eugenics <laughs> program. They're they want these women because they're white <laughs> and they're healthy <laughs> and they're poor and they're desperate That's because the left. That's <laughs> And it's like, and, and you can't say anything about it because if you say anything about surrogacy or you say anything about these human rights abuses, you're going against like, you know, the gold standard, like the LGBT, uh, you know, uh, like rainbow flags, protect trans Ukrainian kids, like all this shit. But it's like, which is what gets me so angry with, um, you know, gay people on like the, dis- like on, the on dissident Twitter, I right or left is like, they refuse to they refuse refuse to acknowledge that their um cause has been a hundred percent co-opted essentially to fund shit like this and to literally fund war and to make an excuse as to why war needs to happen. The Palestinians need to suffer because is Israel gives people LGBT rights, like all of this shit. And it's like I'm sorry, but like a gay Palestinian (laughs) or a gay Ukrainian would rather be uh, alive in a country that doesn't allow them to get married than dead from a, you know, it's just like the, all of the, like, and it's like, stop the the droning rather than, yeah. yeah, it's like, you can't even, and it's like, to me, it's like, that's why I'm like, so opposed to like you i think you like have to push back against pride and you have to push back against like these constant attempts to like center the you know it's like i go through your neighborhood and it's like all of these fucking rainbow flags all of these fucking trans flags and it's like it's everywhere and this is supposed to be the most oppressed minority on the planet and it's just being used to ex- exploit and kill <laughs> the children and women and children and it's not and like and it's it's and then we're literally even more literally giving money to nazis because 
tons of the Ukrainian, you know, military, like, align with, like, Nazi philosophies and things like that. And it's just, like, everyone's just, like, funnel the money there. You know, Ukraine is suffering. And you guys are the Nazis. But really, it's like we're just sending money to the actual literal Nazis. Yeah. I mean, for me, it just it just always comes back to the propaganda thing. Like once you see it, I don't know. It's just like it, there's no other way to interpret it. Like, I, I don't know. I'm actually I wrote like a little kind of um, I don't know, like prop. Pro- propaganda like primer thing that I'm working on with pool house. So that'll be a little like thoughts and prayers, uh, uh, pool house backlash collab. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like it, it once you see the pattern of just like, oh, okay, there's always some bullshit that they're going to be pushing. It never makes sense. But it gets everyone really agitated and excited and it, it kind of cycles through different things. And then when it's done with it, it moves on completely all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden, you're not supposed to care about all the stuff that you were supposed to care about nonstop, verbally, vocally, never stop talking or thinking about it. You know, and it's like once you just see that cycle, it's like, how can you understand the situation in any other way? Right. And how can you understand, like, how can you look at the situation and not see that NATO is the aggressor Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that NATO is creating a situation where they can essentially expand their powers? And like the and like the, the United States people are living in the Soviet Union. Like, that's what I find fascinating. Like, you are living in an imperialistic regime that is creating satellite states around the globe (laughs) to orbit itself. Right. And they they just want to keep and like, and like the second Ukraine happened, it was like, Oh, Finland needs to be in NATO and all these other countries need to be in NATO. And it's like, they're just, they're just creating, they're just expanding and creating a situation where global dominance, uh, continues and and the profits just never stop right like because this money that we're quote unquote giving to ukraine we're actually giving to arms manufacturers yeah, yeah and, and politicians and politicians and, um, and bankers and whatever. right yeah. like we're like it's like it's not like this money is being like flown over ukraine and like dropped in bundles <laughs> those people are just those poor you know women are just have are down there are just having to sell their wombs. Get, like free condoms or something <laughs> or, a sandwich at the something you know yeah and the whole the whole system is just ultimate i mean like the surrogacy thing it's like it's just a it's just profit like to act like it's like you know oh like these poor families that like you know are are infertile or whatever it's like they need these babies it's like it's it's like no like to pretend that that's what it's about is so retarded it's it's about making money for these uh the same people that already have all the money you know mm-hmm. and yeah and it's got many different purposes but yeah it's keeping everyone's attention on something um something that they feel strongly about and uh can you know feel self-righteous about and think that the other people think the bad thing about it and you know and the only thing that makes me like somewhat i mean i know you're gonna like push back on this and that's fine i'm happy to argue with you about it and i'm not i'm not saying that i'm the most well researched but the only thing that makes me like even remotely like sort of kind of trust trump is that like not even trust trump but like trust that he's like an aberration of some kind is this like kind of how can i put it like this i like they're 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 hell bent on or they seem hell bent on like trying to keep him out of the 2024 race but that could also be a psyop of course mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah, I don't think I I mean that could be one interpretation of what's happening. I think it's equally likely that they're just doing it the same like they did before, drumming up drama and you know, support oh, you know, it gets his base gets all riled up. Oh, they they indicted him. Oh, they're bringing him down. He's got to keep fighting and then, you know, the libs all get their moment of like, yes, like he's going to jail, you know. But and then then when it flips or whatever and he's he is running in the election and he's not in jail, then the libs get to be all mad and riled up and the his people get their moment of, you know, the system works or whatever, you know. 
So what do you think is going to happen in 2024? I mean, we're, we're, we're close. Like, we're more than halfway through 2023. At this point, if you look at the 2020 election, there were there was a wide birth of candidates coming forward in the Democratic Party. None of that has happened. They're, you know, RFK, fuck that. He's never going to be president. Marianne Williamson, <laughs> never going to be president. So it's like no serious contender has stepped forward to challenge Biden. He's obviously going to be the nominee. And the same is true essentially with the Republican Party. DeSantis has been totally tanked by the by state media. So it's like what I mean, what what do you think could possibly happen? I don't know. Um unless they kill one of them. Well, yeah. I mean I think it, it there's a, a, a chance, a strong chance that it could just be Biden versus Trump you know, again. If Biden's even still alive. Right. Well, my theory is that he's just CGI at this point, basically. (laughs) Like, in effect, even if it's not actually, like, they only show just, like, five-second clips of him, like, looking, you know, with a in a powerful pose or something. Like, they do not want him giving, like, long-form speeches or anything. Yeah. Has anyone seen, I, I, like, it's interesting because I'm, like, has anyone seen Biden at, like, a rally have like a large group of like civilians seen him in years. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, they would show that. I mean, mm-hmm. he essentially ran his pres. He ran his campaign to become president from a basement in Delaware that he never yeah. left, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a luxury beach house in Delaware. I mean, it probably was like a much nicer basement than we're currently in, but like, you know, it's like he didn't even campaign really. Well, he was, you know, he was, staying safe and keeping keeping you know everyone else safe it's just terrifying i i think the thing too is like people cling to this belief that like they have some power like this whole idea like oh you're ignoring the power of the people it's like if they really admit that there is no you know will of the people being enacted in any way it's like it's really scary and it's really like um, I think that's a, it for a lot of people. It's just so different from ha- their way that they understand and view the world. And the implications are so significant that it is just a fr- emotionally daunting truth to c- entertain. Yeah. And I don't know how we get people to see it because it's like all of this, like, you know, if you think about, I mean, I understand like, I, and even us, it's like, we can't even trust the alternate sources, right? Like everyone always is like, you know, you've, you've said like the gray zone is essentially full of feds. So it's like, you can't even like, you can't (laughs) even, you can't even trust the like kind of uh, people who are trying to create some sort of counter narrative either. So it's like, and, and I, I really do want to get that propaganda. What, what's his name? The, the special, the guy that we like listened Mark Crispin Miller. Yeah, I really want to get him on because yeah. I, I feel like he kind of opened my eyes to this idea that people think that propaganda is just making something up out of whole cloth. But he kind of opened my eyes to the idea is like, that's not really what propaganda is. Like, it, it could be that. It sometimes is that. But it's sometimes taking something that is true and putting a certain like pressure or spin on it that creates a, a certain idea in people's heads, you know? And I think another key thing to understand about it, and, and this is like the Jacques Ellul take who wrote a book on propaganda, but he also more famously wrote this book called the technological society is that propaganda is actually just sort of in a, in a sense, like an automatic function of a technological society, like a necessary to its administration. And like basically is a a function of the technological development of mass media. Like it only really became possible with the advent of mass media, like the, to some extent with print, but like mostly with radio and then uh, TV. And now digital era, which is like even more fucked up. Yeah. And you yourself, us ourselves could be considered part of like a propaganda machine, which is what's also difficult because it's like if you buy into the wrong or not even the wrong, but like whatever the narrative is and you start using up your platform for that, it's like, so it's like you have to constantly be shifting. Otherwise you're, you know, 
I don't know. You you can't trust anyone. I mean, not to be like totally blackpilled about. Uh, yeah. It, well, and I'll I'll say to to kind of maybe reframe it in a way that <laughs> more positive is like the white pill is that I think the main lesson to take away is just to reorient. Well, like we talked about with the rare candy guys, your loc your locus of control for one thing, like focus on just like the shit in your life that you can actually influence. Cause that is going to make way more of a difference than worrying about like what Pete Buttigieg is doing and whatever, you know, which is what people like used to have to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like before there was like print media, um <laughs> and mass it's like did people even really you know like know like what was going on half the time probably not and, and even aside from locus of control just focusing on like your own life like your actual the people in your life your hobbies that you enjoy like your whatever like getting out and enjoying some sunshine exercising or whatever rather than just whatever bullshit is blasted at you on your phone all day or whatever, you know? Yeah. Because it's like Twitter at this point, it can be boiled down to like the same, like four or five things, like kind of just like in repeat, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, everyone's making some variation of like the same joke. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like it because I, I've connected with other people who are think, you know kind of understand the situation in the way that I do which is not something that I really have in my in my real life it, it growing increasingly more so which I think is good but um but so I I value it for that but yeah also I mean yeah of course it's social media it's it's rotting our brains intentionally I mean it's psychological warfare <laughs> yeah I mean it makes me feel like when I used to do drugs like it's definitely a rush. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm more addicted to it than you, but it, it gets you, um, it gets you that dopamine hit sometimes. What are we at now? How long have we got? We're about an hour. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I agree with that. I agree with that's what you ultimately have to do with it is focus on your own, your own life. But I just, I can't, it's not that I can't respect people who refuse to acknowledge this reality, but I I wish that people would take the time to really I I want you to focus on your own life but I want you to take the time to at least look a little bit at what the situation is and not pretend like you you actually understand everything like I don't pretend that like I don't pretend that I I can't provide you right now with a clear I can't say this is exactly what's happening this is exactly who's in control. This is the exact situation. I can't give you that. And you can't give yourself that either. You can't. Yeah. And I can tell you that what they're telling you are the answers to those questions are not the answers to those questions. <laughs> yeah. At the bare minimum, we can, we can, I think that we should all be able to agree on that, but very, very few people um, agree on that. And you know, a lot of people, it's like, it's one thing I, it's one reason I, you know, respect people like Poolhouse so much is like, you know, he more than anyone I probably know personally, like pushes, like, like lets himself be kind of like ostracized and like pushed to the side by like never giving in to, you know, um, yeah, like not even giving an inch, you know? Yeah, for sure. Cool house is, in a, yeah. <laughs> Do we have anything else we want to say? In a league say? of his own. Do we want to say anything else about any of this? We said we would do a, like a short, a shortish episode. Do you have any other? No, I thought that was good. Okay. Good, good note to end on. Yeah. So that's. Is this going to be our anniversary app? This might end up being our anniversary app. Um, but uh yeah just and also like you know you'll have heard our last episode this time but you know zach gave this advice and i i want to give this advice to people t again i just want to reiterate it for those of you who do listen every week like find your own shit like find find shit that makes you 
happy and filled with life and uh, you don't have to like anything because we said you have to like it or anyone else says you have to like it. Like find, find your own, um, find, find the stuff that's, you know, sorks joy. That might sound cheesy, but I, I really believe it. Oh, I, I respect it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, people are so just want to hate on things. They don't, it's like, okay, you don't like that. Just, yeah. Find some other shit that you do like. Find something you Enjoy like. Enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to the, I'll, I'll leave with this last anecdote. I, I think I talked about this already, but just like, I went to this, uh, you know, event where people were reading fan fiction that <laughs> New York that they didn't write. They were making fun of people who wrote the fan fiction. And I really hated the event because I was just like, you know what? Like, <laughs> these people sat down and tried to do something <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they wrote more than I wrote in the last month. Like, and so I just, I don't know. I just try to find something, create something, put something out there. That's my advice, folks. <laughs> we love you guys. We now have a sub stack. You can subscribe for free. You could subscribe with a $5 donation. Um, we'd love you to start listening to the podcast there. Um, you can find me at um, St. Q92. You can find A at Low IQ Moron. Um, and you can find Thoughts and Prayers wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the end of my sultry voice. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>